0: This is Bespoke, a podcast exploring the making of bespoke objects and experiences. Devised and hosted by Adriana Pace-Kent.
1: Brooke Bennington is a contemporary art gallery based in Fitzrovia. Their exhibition programme has a strong emphasis on supporting the creative development of emerging artists, inspiring visitors to invest more deeply in their work, and follow and support them throughout their careers. I've been welcomed by George Mingotzi Marsh on the opening day of Midnight Oil, a solo installation by Victor Lim Seaward, to explore the crucial role contemporary patronage holds in fostering creativity, providing platforms for artistic expression, and ensuring the continued vitality and diversity of the visual arts. Brooke Bennington
0: is a, a partnership between myself and Lily Brooke Day, uh, which formed in 2019. We both ran galleries separately. My previous gallery had a, a specialism in, in sculpture. Um, Lily ran a gallery in Campwell, and that had a, a strong sculpture focus but a slightly broader programme focusing on emerging artists. Um, and then we opened this space in October last year. I think the idea of a gallery a contemporary gallery can be quite intimidating to people so that is something we're um, interested in kind of breaking down in in different sorts of ways as well as our our main gallery program we also for the last seven years have run um, an initiative called Contemporary Sculpture Fulmer in Buckinghamshire which is a uh, contemporary sculpture park um, the seventh uh, edition and final edition of which is is currently running and will be running until the end of July. Our, our current exhibition, um, Midnight Oral, is by Victor Lim Seward, who is a, an artist Lily and I have known for a number of years. Lily actually did a solo exhibition, I think his first London solo exhibition with him, at her space in in Camwell a few years back, and we've got a kind of a long-running uh, relationship with him, but in that time also he's kind of found this wider success, this broader success. He had a fantastic um, solo presentation at the uh, Zabludowicz Collection, a show in Zurich with Fabian Lang. And most recently he had a a work in a great exhibition in White Cube, Paris. Um, So it feels like a a really exciting time to be bringing him back to London and doing, again, his kind of first London solo in a commercial gallery for a a couple of years. And, And he's really kind of pulled out all the stops for this exhibition.
1: Mm, It's fantastic. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, I guess I'm really interested in how you support the creative development of emerging artists. Um, And a little bit, perhaps you can tell us a bit more about the purpose of this incredible contemporary sculpture park in Fulmer. And maybe in the context of Victor's work, how you were able to maybe provide him with an opportunity to develop his practice. Yeah.
0: I, mean, I think there are kind of a couple of things to say with that. There are obviously lots of different sorts of artists, and there are lots of different sorts of galleries. There's a gallery model that presents itself as a shop. Mm-hmm. You can walk in, there'll be multiple objects by different artists, and you can buy one for your home. And then there are galleries like us, who focus primarily on uh, long-term relationships with artists, solo, duo presentations, occasional curated group exhibitions. Um, but we're trying to create a, a, a platform, a home, for artists to uh, uh, create in a broader sense. Mm-hmm. So beyond making individual artworks, we're interested in how an artist can present their work within their own context. So in this show with Victor, he has created a whole environment for his works to be encountered in. Every work has a relationship with the next work. They tell a story as you go across this. And I think as a, um, a client, a patron, a commissioner, you can walk into a space like this and you can see a breadth of an artist's practice. You can kind of start to understand the story they're trying to tell. What, what we have done, what we've been trying to do at the Sculpture Park has been an extension of that. So that has been physically breaking down the barriers, taking work out of this brightly lit, potentially intimidating um, construct we have here and into these kind of beautiful Victorian gardens that we've got uh, in Fulmer.
1: I guess this falls quite neatly into about um how you um involve and cultivate kind of long-lasting relationships between commissioners who then could I'm very interested in the distinction between someone who commissions a work of art and someone who becomes a patron yeah because i think there there's a a slight shift yeah. in the relationship with not only the work that's created but also the 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 artist and how you nurture those relationships over time.
0: I think people wrap the idea of being a patron in with giving financial donations to institutions. Whereas I think if we look at it more in terms of, I mean, going way back, the kind of Medici or the kind of Peggy Guggenheim thing, and obviously those are extreme examples of very, very wealthy people. But that sort of model of of patronage being a way to support artists throughout their career and finding different ways to support artists throughout their career. And I think that commissioning can be an element of that, but I don't think it can be the sole element of that. So, you know, uh, we we touched on before recording how challenging uh, uh, the arts can be as a profession. And for artists, you know, practically, for artists to be able to continue making things, they need to be able to have Draw some income, no matter how small it is, at various points of their career, and they can't wait until they get to institutional levels for that to start happening, or for you know for the auction market to recognize their value for that to start happening, because they won't get to that point. So artists need to have work purchased from them, even if it's just small pieces at, uh, at the beginning, low low value pieces at the beginning, at every point of their career, so they can make those stepping stones a- and grow, and you know, occasionally, hopefully, opportunities for commissions will arise out of that. Yeah. Um, and, and, and you know, they can work closely and it can be a really rewarding thing, I think, for, for both the, the gallery, for the client and the artist to work on these kind of commissioning processes. Mm. But like I said, I do think it's important for there to be direct support outside of that.
1: And how do you manage the relationship between a, someone who, let's say, who started to collect an artist's work um, and... How they might show interest in commissioning. How do you develop those conversations, and then potentially also factor in this understanding around development and growth within an artist practice?
0: I think I think it's multifaceted, and and the the thing you've got to remember is that um, at, at the core of art are, are people and personalities. And in the same way as within your friendship group and in your family, there are different personalities. Different artists respond, and different clients respond in, in different ways. So some artists are very good self-publicists. You know, they'll turn up to their private view. They'll chat to people. They'll sell themselves as well as their, their art. You know, they'll they can tell their own story. Um, there are others who need to communicate with the world through their art and that can be an incredibly valuable thing you know art can be that connection for them Um, but for us trying to build a connection between the collector between the patron the commissioner and the artist is is crucial in whatever way that um, artist feels comfortable doing so it might be studio visits it might be going out for lunch with the client and the artist. It might be, you know, the artist and us going to their home or or whatever, or, or just, you know, meeting in the gallery and talking about the work. And, and like I say, some artists feel very, very comfortable with that, other artists less so, but that's fine. We could have adapted, we work in different ways with those sorts of artists. But I do think that it's really important that the client, that the commissioner understands that the artist is a person it's not just a, a beautiful potentially expensive object on the wall there is something deeper there and then hopefully they will appreciate that 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 patronage is really important and that you know you might you might walk into this show and think you know one day it would be amazing to have you know w- whatever M- my own uniquely commissioned site-specific installation for this house i'm thinking of building in five years time or my dream house whatever um but this artist might not be there in five years time unless they're supported now so you might go right okay but for now this i could really live with it i could really enjoy this small work and that builds a relationship with the artist it builds a level of trust with that artist as well so that when you come to them and say you know i want a fountain i want you know i want you know this that whatever the artist the artist doesn't sort of go who is this person why are they why are they sort of putting this on me Um, They might go, oh, no, that person has supported me and championed me. So that's the other thing. You you can be a patron through through championing as well, through through telling your friends, bringing your friends to see exhibitions, talking about it, buying a work of art, showing it to your friends, you know, like talking about their work at dinner parties, whatever it might be. But keeping in mind constantly that there is that human behind the the work is really important, and and, and that, I think, makes it long-term rewarding for everyone involved.
1: Going back to the um, incredible sculpture park in Fulmer that you've created, can you expand a little bit more on on how you s- kind of created it, why you created it, and and the kind of um, opportunities that have emerged out of that?
0: Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I, I think there are, there are a couple of things there. So art fairs aren't set up for the quick and easy install of sculpture and trying to sell a large object that's potentially more expensive than a painting so what I did when I first set up the sculpture park is I kind of set aside I guess the money you would normally set aside for art fairs in a year and and and, and funnelled it into doing that for a few years and so after that I didn't do art fairs for number and I focused on this as our kind of um, outreach program I suppose. As far as it being a kind of a, a test bed that became important really really quickly. Um, for a lot of um, sculptors public sculpture commissioning can be um, an avenue of, of making making some money for them down the line. And it's the same work that gets commissioned time and time and again and the same artists get time and time and again because, e- you know, even if it's these open calls, you'll apply to these open calls and even if you make it through to the you know, the, the maquette stage or the interview stage, whatever it is, normally you'll lose out because the judging panel, whoever, or whoever's financing it, will say, well, that's a really interesting idea, but will it work? Can you show, can you show us an example of how it's worked in the past? It's like, well, no, because I haven't had the <laughs> opportunity. Like, Give me the opportunity and I'll show you it can work. And so it became really important to me really early on that we had a platform where artists were allowed to fail, actually, mm. you know, where they could take a risk they could show it in a, you know, the, the sculpture garden. It's private gardens. It's not fully open to the public, so it's closed off in the evenings. It's closed certain days of the week. So if something goes wrong, they can come in and fix it, or they can watch it over the course of a season and just be like, "Oh, that material doesn't respond in the way I thought it would do," or "Oh God, I didn't think about wind resistance," or whatever it may be. They can they can make those uh, mistakes, and out of those mistakes come successes. And we we've had we have a history of artists who would show once, and it be Great, you know, everyone enjoys it, responds to it, and they'll come back a couple of years later and they'll have aced it. They'll have they'll have understood what is what what, what was kind of potentially missing or how they could improve on that experience, how they could, you know, develop though that first idea they had into something potentially successful and go on and get you know, public sculpture commissions um in different ways and, and be able to say, Look, yeah, I know I can do this, I've done it, it's it's there.
1: It's thrilling. Um it yeah. should continue. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just a phenomenal idea and I just think it's so important to allow people to to work in a different context, Mm. to play with scale and to fail. I think Mm. that is a really incredibly generous offer, Mm. which is so essential to the development Mm. of new work and new ideas. Um, What's the most memorable commission that you've helped develop? Can you share the story behind
0: it? Yeah, Um, one was with an artist I I worked with for quite a long time called Julian Wilde, we became very good friends. And he was given this opportunity to create a sort of mega sculpture. Um, It's this big piece called Origin. It's this kind of giant red painted steel bridge-like sculpture, huge. Having made everything himself in his own studio to having to kind of work with people who were making kind of industrial steel objects and to have the opportunity to experiment in different ways. So rather, he'd always done kind of cut and welded steel and he was suddenly able to do like big cast stainless steel um, elements to it. And the logistics of, of doing that um, was on a, a scale beyond anything that he and I had been involved in before. And we, we actually kind of produced a little book to kind of mark that occasion. So sort of telling the story of that sculpture. So that, that was a really, really good fun thing to work on.
1: You're really talking about holding space for new ideas, new ways yeah. of working, new ways of looking and seeing and thinking on both sides, that that's a successful commission, that it has to, yeah, yeah commissioners there to hold the space for that oh, and not be too prescriptive about what yeah. the outcome is, um, to provide context without...
0: yeah. Um, and, and this this is where bad commissioning comes in, and bad public sculpture comes in. Yeah, I think.
1: Let's talk about that. <laughs> My favorite topic.
0: <laughs> well, I think I think early on in the process, people need to realize that they either want an artwork or they don't want an artwork. Mm. They just want a thing, and and that's totally fine. Mm. But if you want an artwork, you have to go to a gallery or a consultant that specializes in commissioning art, and and will have relationship with artists. And you sort of have to leave your involvement at that point. You know, you check in, you have conversations yeah. and you kind of talk about the ideas and stuff. So you're not totally surprised when something alien turns up. But I think there has to be trust. And there has to be the kind of the, the people involved at the various points of that who admit they know nothing and speak to people that have expertise. I think, you know, I think you sort of, you kind of need those two things.
1: I guess it's that mediation translation role, isn't it, that you you provide, which is also about um, nurturing the vision of the artist, but helping the artist to understand what the opportunity of the context is, and then at the same time managing the expectations of the commissioner and helping them understand what the opportunities of working with this artist might be. Yeah. The
0: way I look at this is, the artists are my clients mm-hmm. really like I'm, I'm an intermediary between the artists and the public.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think that's the challenge is the articulation and it's more than that. It's the questioning yeah. of why are you doing this?
0: Mm. I think that's, yeah, I think that's the other thing is that people um, assume that everyone has to like everything <laughs> and that's not the case. I don't know, that sounds flippant, but it's, but it's, it's a serious point. I think like if, if, if you make things, if you if you go into the design process of anything, the creative process of anything with the goal that everyone needs to like it, some of the most successful artworks, public artworks, um, creative endeavors are, are ones that had some initial resistance, initial pushback that then over time and with repeat encounters and kind of familiarity and conversations, became beloved or or opened up wider conversations to things and i have loved it when we have worked in the public realm and i you know i'm quite hands-on with things i'll quite often get involved with a kind of the install of and and people assume that you're a tech or you're you know someone that works for the council sort of you know they'll walk along like what the is this you know can you believe they're doing this sort of thing again and You're like yeah I know but have you like and you kind of you make a comment about it like oh yeah oh, yeah I know I can kind of and sometimes they walk you you end up having a really good chat with them and they'll walk away or or they'll stick to the guns and just be like this is this is crap this is awful this is you know we don't want this here and it's like well why why do you want this here Well because you know. Um, you know the money can be best spent anywhere else or somewhere uh, uh, but that opens up conversations and you know have you stopped on the street before and had a conversation with someone like has this you know you you walk this street every day to get your coffee and you have the same walk every day and today your morning's been slightly different exactly Um, and that has value
1: Mm, no definitely I mean when I was part of the group we used to talk about the community of presence Mm -hmm. of people who might be commuting through this space yeah. never have any interaction with each other but they might share the fact that mm. they might share a conversation about how crap the work is yeah. but at least that's a point of connection yeah. i think it's a really undervalued yeah. but powerful yeah. element of the public art kind of offer
0: yeah and i think particularly like in 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 this day and age uh, in particular you know i think like where in-person interaction is reduced and reduced and we're able to communicate in different ways online and we're able to kind of present ourselves in a certain way online, um, that actually having um, an in-person experience can be incredibly rewarding.
1: With that in mind, moving on to this idea of how can we make collecting and potentially commissioning more accessible to a younger generation?
0: Well, one of the ways we do it is by having a really good relationship with the other galleries in the area actually. So we we're really kind of collegial and cooperative with other galleries in the area so if, if someone does come in and they do spark up a conversation be like oh i never knew there was a gallery here then we will always direct them to our neighbors i think other things are stuff like price points so having accessible price points um trying to make sure there are there are entry level pieces um and there, there are great new initiatives as well there's things like art money who we partner with they allow you to pay in Ten even instalments across ten months. They make it very, very straightforward, and it takes the pressure off us.
1: And do you work with groups and consortia of kind of people who come together and
0: like collector groups?
1: Yeah. You Was know. um, that f- tricky?
0: It is tricky. Um, it's. It ha- we we have had people buy things together. Like there is are, there a are great um, pair of collectors we know um, who collect as a pair Mm. i i've got a couple of friends who work in the arts as well and and they're they're working on initiatives yeah they purchase work as a group so they have people that kind of as i understand it they kind of sign up to this scheme One, one of them is more like a timeshare thing and one is one is a kind of a group investment thing where they buy collectively and they sell collectively
1: so i guess my last question really is how do we inspire more collectors to not only commission works of art, but also to become patrons and and support the creative development of well,
0: that's, the question. that's the big question. But,
1: well, I like to I like to end on a big question. <laughs> Normally when I'm talking to a maker, I ask them what their favorite, what their dream yeah. of commission is, which is the question. Everybody I, tries.
0: I, yeah, I, I think I think it goes back to things we've touched on. So, um, it is about putting a face to the art. I think. I think it is getting people invested in the personalities, invested in the artists. And if we go back to that idea of telling a story, if you walk in to Gallaby and buy a single work of art and leave, you're coming in at, you know, chapter 12, and you're leaving on chapter 12. And that might be a great chapter, (laughs) you know, full of action, you know, great romance, whatever. But to get the full satisfaction, you you want to follow the full arc of that story so i think if you can get people to um engage in invest in the idea of an artist and an artist's career and not just a single artwork to to dip in and out at various points of their career and to support them to you know buy small works buy big works commission work Then i think that's the way you can really make a difference
1: fantastic well thank you so much for sharing your incredible insight into this process Thanks so much, George. That's great. Cheers.
0: This is Bespoke.